Chapter Twenty Seven of the Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I mean it, and I mean it forever. It was a different scene that the white-pillared hall of philosophy viewed next. I wonder if the story of all the varying events which have transpired under that fair building will ever be written. It was the pretty Amy who was prominent in this one. Even Mrs. Fenton admitted that she grew prettier as the days went by. Her companion was not James Ward on this particular morning, but Mrs. Fenton herself. As that lady emerged with flushed cheeks from some domestic task in the little kitchen and brushed her hair, she expressed her mind to Caroline. "'What do you suppose that little pink-and-white child wants of me this morning? She kidnapped me in the hall last night, and asked me if I wouldn't take a little bit of a walk with her all alone, just as early as I could. "'Who, Amy?' "'Yes, Amy, and I'll venture that pail of blackberries that she and James have made complete idiots of themselves, and she wants to confess the fact to me, and get me to negotiate with her mother. If these two simpletons have engaged themselves to each other, they ought to be drowned a little in the lake. A mere boy and girl!' She away back in her teens, and he worse. A boy in his teens is twenty years younger than a girl of the same age, anyway. But I just expect it. What am I to do? I don't see how you can do anything, Caroline said with troubled face. If I were her mother, I would try hard to bring her to a sense of the ridiculousness of it all. But I don't see how we are any of us to blame. Yes, that's the trouble. Her father and mother will blame us, blame me at least, because she was put specially in my care. I wish I had been asleep when I said I would take care of her, but how was I to help her being a simpleton since she was born one? I hadn't the least idea that James Ward would be guilty of any such folly. Were they intimate before they came here, Caroline? He used occasionally to walk home with her from the circle, Caroline said thoughtfully but I never gave the matter any thought. Her mother knew all about it, for I met them one day walking together, Amy and her mother and James. They all seemed equally pleasant, so of course I didn't think of it twice. But here it is different. We feel in a sense responsible for one so young, and I've tried hard to have Amy realize that she ought not to be so much in company with James while away from her father and mother. She has been doing better for a few days, I think." Well, she's going to do worse this morning, you may depend, and I'm sure I don't know what to say to the little dunce. I wish she were at home with her mother. I'm glad I haven't any girls to bring up. They are worse than boys, I believe, though James is quite as foolish as she. If my Robert ever gets to parading around in this fashion, I don't know what I shall do. The only young woman he cares about as yet is you, Caroline, and I feel comparatively safe about that." saying which, half laughing, half vexed, and wholly troubled, the motherly woman set her son hat in order, took her son umbrella, and joined the small, fair creature in buff who stood outside waiting. "'It is good in you,' said the little Amy, "'to leave all your cares and take a walk with me this morning. I hope it hasn't inconvenienced you.' "'Oh, no,' said Mrs. Fenton, resolving on being as cordial and as gentle as she could, and try her powers of influence over the child to bring her back to common sense. We have dinner all planned, and Caroline is managing it. 
She is worth half a dozen of me at any time. Caroline is a grand girl, Amy, and she will make a grand woman. She hasn't frittered away her girlhood on follies. She is fresh for whatever life can offer her womanhood. I don't like to see little girls play at being women. It not only spoils them for ever being true women, but spoils their enjoyment afterwards. She looked keenly at the foolish face beside her, and wondered, did Amy understand what she meant? There was a heightened color about the fair young face, but at the same time there was a calm in her eyes, and a sweetness about her mouth, that gave no sense of being consciously wrong, or even foolish. Mrs. Fenton did not know whether to be encouraged, or the contrary. If Amy were so much a child that she could not reason, what was to be said to her? They turned down the broad and singularly pleasant avenue leading directly to the hall. Amy seemed instinctively to bend her steps in that direction, and Mrs. Fenton, with curious surmisings, followed her lead. She knew that the child walked that way every morning, sometimes quite early. The hall was deserted now, the early lecture having been concluded and the crowds gone elsewhere. The cool lake breezes were playing through the building, and an air of summer calm rested on it. "'Have you ever been here before this morning?' Mrs. Fenton asked, as they helped themselves to chairs. "'No, am I didn't come to the eight o'clock lecture. So many people say they are grand, but I don't know enough to enjoy them, so I save my strength. Oh, yes, am I was here very early this morning, before most people were up. I like the hall then almost better than at any other hour of the day. She seemed in no haste to reach the special object of this walk, if it had a special object, but talked in a desultory manner of the lectures, the concerts, and what not, while Mrs. Fenton, restlessly eager to go to the auditorium for the morning meeting, heartily wished that the conference were over. "'Did you hear the lecture yesterday afternoon?' questioned Amy, calling her companion back from inward fuming. "'Of course I did,' spoken with energy. "'I would not have missed it for a great deal.' "'Wasn't it just splendid? I think I liked it better than anything yet, except the children's meetings. You don't know how nice they are.' "'You don't attend them, do you?' well mrs fenton you would be surprised to see how much the little things are learning and not only the little things i suppose i ought to have known long ago all those lessons about the bible but i didn't when i went to sabbath school i used to be very much mortified when the teacher gave me a reference to find in one of those little bits of books in the old testament because i could never find the place i have fumbled and fumbled and grown red in the face over it many a time but i never thought of learning them until i went to the children's meetings they have such an interesting way of remembering their position that i learned it too now the truth is that mrs fenton herself had been annoyed more than once in that very manner hosea and joel and amos and obadiah and all the list of books with few leaves were mixed in inextricable confusion in her mind it was only at the last meeting of their circle that someone asked her to refer to a prophecy in Micah, and she looked her Bible over before the Psalms and after the Psalms, unable to determine where Micah was located. So, while she laughed over Amy's story, she also blushed, and resolved to look in on that children's meeting the very next morning, and see if mayhap she might learn to locate Micah. 
although a Chautauquan of several weeks' standing, she had not yet heard of Ho-Jo-Am, Ob-Jo-Mi-Na. And even if she had, I much doubt whether she would have been able, without help, to discover its connection with the minor prophets. "'Dr. Vincent is a splendid teacher for little children,' continued Amy with enthusiasm. "'Dr. Vincent?' with a start of surprise. "'Does he lead the children's class? What is there that that man doesn't do, I wonder?' "'Oh, it isn't our Dr. Vincent, the leader of everything, you know, but a brother of his. He looks like him and acts like him some. And when you don't see his face, the voices are so much alike that you would think that they were the same person.' It was wonderful how eager was Amy's interest in children's meetings, and, indeed, any other meeting that she could think of this morning. Mrs. Fenton looked at her watch and declared it to be growing late.' They must hasten back, or they would lose the grand opening at the auditorium, which she wouldn't miss for anything. Thus called to order, Amy, with deeply flushed face and downcast eyes, and sweet lips that quivered a little, and lower tones, said, "'I have something to tell you, Mrs. Fenton.' "'Have you?' Despite her good resolves, the lady's voice was dry and unsympathetic." How could she be tender and encouraging when she felt it her duty to apply harsh measures, to unhesitatingly explain to the child that she was a simpleton and ought to be sent home to her mother by the next boat? I think Amy's sensitive nature felt the coldness of the tone, for her eyes drooped lower. She went on hurriedly. Yes'm, I felt as though I ought to tell you, and indeed I wanted to, though I hardly knew how to do it. I need your help. I am so young and ignorant. There was a tender pleading note in the almost baby lips, but Mrs. Fenton, in spite of herself, felt severe. It was so silly. Why, the child wasn't so very much older than her Robert. I am not sure, but the thought of Robert helped her to feel severe. Young people are expected to be ignorant of a good many things and to remain so, she said coldly. Their time for knowledge will come fast enough. It is the height of folly to hurry one's life. The drooping blue eyes were raised a moment to her face in grave questioning. Then they fell again. Yes, she said simply, I don't expect to do great things, of course, nor to be of much importance in any way. Yet there are things that I ought to know and to do, perhaps. You see, it isn't a passing fancy that I may forget to-morrow. I am not like that at all. It is a settled thing, settled for life. I am glad she was not looking up just then. She would have seen Mrs. Fenton's lip curl. A compassionate curl it was, though, after all. As if they didn't all talk so, silly girls. But she began to feel sorry for the child by her side, who was trying, before her time, to be a woman." how could she best speak so as to help her feel that this was probably not for life at all but a schoolgirl whim that should be laid aside at least for years if i were you amy she said suddenly and with vigour i would bring my good sense to bear in this matter i would resolutely resolve to think no more about it until i was twenty then if you are of the same mind it will be time enough to think about such serious responsibilities she was looking full at the pretty child now, anxious more than she could tell as to the result of her words. There was an unmistakable deepening of color in Amy's cheeks, but the voice was steady, 
steadier than it had been at all, and her wide-open blue eyes, full of sweet gravity, were leveled at the matron. "'I cannot,' she said simply. "'I have made a solemn pledge. On my knees, in this very hall, I promise to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ for ever. Besides, Mrs. Fenton, I might not live to be twenty. Then it would be all too late. And indeed, indeed, I would not take back my pledge if I could.' It is very sweet to belong to him, body and soul. I mean it, and I mean it for ever. Who shall describe to you Mrs. Fenton's state of mind? What an egregious blunder she had made! And when one came to think of it, what a stupendous blunder it was! Here had she actually been seeming to counsel a young girl to wait until she was twenty, before she gave her heart to Christ. The blood rushed violently into her face. The first inclination to laugh passed suddenly and left an almost necessity for tears. "'Amy, child!' she cried. "'I do not know what I have been talking about. Forget every word I have said. I did not understand you in the least. I mean, I thought you were talking about something else, something entirely different.' "'No, ma'am,' said Amy in grave innocence. "'I only mean that I belong to Christ now.' and I thought I ought to tell someone older than I who could advise me. There are things that I might do if I knew how, and there are a great many things I suppose that I ought not to do, but I am so young and so ignorant about it all that I shall keep making mistakes. I felt the need of help. If you would be so good as to help me, Mrs. Fenton. Perhaps Mrs. Fenton will never feel so grieved and humiliated again as she did in that hour under that cry for help she was womanly and motherly and tender in all her feelings and impulses despite the irritation which she had suffered to creep over her concerning this little girl it was but a surface irritability after all had the child been sick no mother could have watched over her with more careful tenderness than mrs fenton would have brought to the emergency skilful tenderness too she was a deft-handed woman she knew both how and what and the best way of doing had amy wanted to know how to fit her next pretty dress or loop her skirt or clear starch her laces mrs fenton could and would have given prompt and wise assistance had it been the question of preparing almost any article of food in a housekeeper's list this matron would have brought skilful hands to the work but to be called upon to direct a young Christian what to do for Christ, and what not to do, that would be called against him, this indeed was work from which she shrank back appalled. There was a silence so complete and so long-lasting that Amy looked up in timid inquiry, and found that her companion's eyes were full of tears. "'You have come to the wrong person, dear child,' she said, and her voice was tremulous." I don't know anything about it. I do not belong to him myself. It is a shame to me to have to admit it. I am glad for you, Amy. I know it is a good way. My mother was a Christian, and she used to hope that I would become one while I was young, but I never did. I wish I could help you, dear child, but I don't know how. All I know is to be very glad that you have made so early and so good a choice." If I were your mother, I should be more glad of that than of any news that could come to me from you. Not one yourself, said Amy, in wide-eyed wonder. Why, Mrs. Fenton, I thought you were. 
Once more Mrs. Fenton felt humiliated. It was true that Amy had sought her out as the proper person with whom to talk, without giving a thought to the possibility of her not being in sympathy. She knew her as a woman who always occupied the fifth seat from the front in their church, who was nearly always in her seat, be the weather pleasant or forbidding. She knew her as one who superintended the making of delicious coffee at all the church festivals, as one who helped set tables and decorate rooms when anything for the church was being done. She knew her as one to whom the girls were always appealing in the sewing circle. Mrs. Fenton, do you turn this up so to him? Mrs. Fenton, is this the way to put in this sleeve? Let's ask Mrs. Fenton, she will know. Mrs. Fenton, how does this little apron go together? Amy herself never stayed to communion. How was she to know that the bread and wine were never offered to the Fentons? She did not go to prayer meeting herself. How could she be expected to know that the Fentons were strangers there? She knew of this woman only as the one who seemed to be prominent in every good work of the church, and on terms of intimacy with all such. Who so proper for Amy, with her new-found hopes and wishes, to confide in, as the woman under whose motherly care she had come to Chautauqua? "'You should have chosen Caroline for a confidant,' said Mrs. Fenton, with a great throb of sorrow at her heart, and a twinge almost like jealousy as she thought. What if her boy Robert were looking for help in the same direction? She could not give it, nor could his father.' The walk back to the cottage was a quiet one. About Mrs. Fenton there was a sense of embarrassment. The foolish little girl on whom she had hitherto looked down had suddenly soared above her world into realms of thought that she was unable to reach. She must actually look upon this dainty bit of flesh and blood with respect hereafter. For Mrs. Fenton respected a real Christian wherever found. And something about Amy— a sort of sweet dignity and quiet, such as she had never noticed in her before, stamped her at once in Mrs. Fenton's eyes as one of royal adoption. The matron had suddenly forgotten her anxiety to be off to the morning meeting, and walked slowly alongside the fair young girl, in great doubt as to what to say. Something ought to be said to her. "'Have you talked with anyone about this?' she asked her, hesitating over the words as one painfully unacquainted with the dialect. "'Only Mr. Ward,' Amy said quietly. And indeed she could hardly say that she talked with him. It was rather that he talked with her. He pointed out the way for her, made it so plain that she could not but understand, and himself led the way. "'He, too,' said Mrs. Fenton. She gave a little start, and there was a flush on her face. Was she glad? Yes, really and truly. Looking on, she knew enough of the power of the religion of Jesus Christ to be sure that an actually enlisted soldier, serving under his banner, was sure of victory. Then who should rejoice more heartily than she to hear that the boy whom she had mothered in her heart for these many months was safe? Then what about that twinge that was like pain? Oh, me! The real mother could not but have a heart spasm over the thought that the boy to whom she had given just a small corner of her heart, a small fraction of her care, had strided ahead and reached the rock, leaving her Robert still behind among the breakers. Yet, remember, she had never in her life pointed out the rock to him, 
nor urged his feet to hasten to it. Inconsistent mother! It was a difficult story to tell Caroline. Remember, she had not understood the language. "'You are late,' said that young woman, as Mrs. Fenton and Amy emerged from under the trees and came into sunlight, Amy passing the two with a bow and smile, and going directly to her room. "'All the world has gone to meeting. I waited for you and the bread. The last loaf is out of the oven, and Miss Butler says she will look out for the meat. She is not going out this morning. Are you ready now?' "'I don't know,' replied Mrs. Fenton in a slow, dazed tone, and Caroline, looking at her, was partly amused, partly troubled. Evidently the little Amy had left her in a peculiar state of mind. "'Did you decide what to say to the child, and did all you could say do any good?' "'No, or rather, yes, oh, I don't know,' and then Mrs. Fenton laughed a little. "'I am a simpleton, Caroline. It is all right. The little thing is just as sweet as she can be, and wiser than the most of us. And as for James, I don't believe I will worry about him any more.' I only wish my boy were as safe. Whereupon, to Caroline's utter dismay, the usually bright-eyed, cheery-faced woman lifted to her gaze eyes that were swimming in tears. End of chapter 27